Welcome to Moralia Python Radio with your hosts, Eric Burke and Owen McIntyre. All right, welcome to another episode of Morelia Python Radio. And in this episode, we're talking from Luke Netheim from Beaches Scaly Beast. Um, I think uh, I've been watching his YouTube for a while, um, and uh, he does some awesome naturalistic setups for our favorite reptiles to keep, the Australian kind. Um, and uh, I think the rough scale build is the one that... Uh, we were bragging about last yeah. week. Yeah, well, that was when we were checking out last week, and uh, that's amazing. Going on about and stuff like that. So, and it's definitely very cool to see these different kinds of um, cages and, I guess, substrates interactions and stuff like that. Especially because, like, you and I are getting ready to do a a, a carpet python like setup show, and like, yeah, this this has been my research for the past two days. So, oh, okay. um, and these are wrong. <laughs> <laughs> all of well, all of these are wrong. That one's from like 1990. Oh my God. <laughs> it's great. I love it yeah. so much. But well, I see dude, you put that diamond python one up there, and uh, we'll definitely get into diamond python. I would like that. I do like them, especially because it's a. Uh, um, because Luke is from Diamond Python, Diamond Python territory, so right, and I and I bet you he probably doesn't agree with half the temperatures that there have been this little article here about what you, what you, what they would experience. It's like what? No. Well, welcome right, to the then. show, Luke. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I was just going to say one thing. Um, yeah, we uh, we went on a little adventure this past weekend. Um, yes. Uh, looking for some timber rattlesnakes, and um, I found one. You guys just happened to be there at the same time. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, yeah, that was uh, that was cool. I mean, it was uh, um, that was the hardest herping I've done in my life. Let's say, like, uh, you guys went out early to go to a different place for uh, Copperhead, and. I'm like, I'll hook up with you guys later. I'm like, they're not going to find it. You find it. And I'm like, damn it. So I missed the yeah. copperhead. But then we all kind of linked up to go to the Pine Barrens where we saw every toad size and color imaginable, but nothing else. Yeah. I thought I was back in Queensland. Yep. Um, and then the next day we went to a place to look for timbers. And that's where we found one timber. Yep. Um, and then uh, we went to a few other places to go look for timbers. But... Um, they were the second place. They were hard. <laughs> like it was, uh, uh, there's, it was, there's been a lot of rain. So a lot of wet spots. So flipping stuff over wasn't really working. And then, uh, we linked up with Tim in, uh, what was it? New York, right? Yeah. yeah. And he took us to pretty much a cliff and he's like, we have to run up the cliff. And we're like, what? And Luke, he just, have you ever herped on the oh, side of a cliff? God. <laughs> <laughs> so he, he runs all the way up the cliff and we're just kind of trudging along behind him. And we're like, where if he finds anything, we're never going to get there. So, but, uh, yeah, dude, my legs were sore as hell. So yeah. we, we did that, which was, you know, we didn't really find anything there, but, um, yeah, I think you and Rob went to a few other places, uh, the following day. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, it, was, anything, yeah. It, it was a fun trip. It was cool to see the timber. Um, which is weird because it was not far away from my house. Um, yeah, there you go. So, yeah. All right. Well, let's stop babbling and uh, let's get Luke going here. Yes. And, uh, 
Go ahead. All right, uh, Luke, we kind of ask everybody who kind of joins us here for the first time. I just want to know uh, how you got started in reptiles. Um, I suppose I was just one of those quirky kids that was just kind of grabbing a few things in the backyard here and there and probably annoying mum by keeping them in little takeaway containers under the bed until they all of a sudden unfortunately passed away or something like that and she discovered them. Um, hmm. But I, I definitely remember uh, living in this one place when I was probably about uh, 10 or 12 years old in that sort of vicinity and it backed onto kind of like sandstone country and stuff like that where I used to come in contact with like heaps of like leaf-tailed geckos and blue tongues and, and all sorts. So that was kind of my baptism of fire as a kid, just straight into it and, yeah, just kind of starting to keep things out uh, when I was a kid. I remember my old man telling me a few stories and stuff about how he used to keep a blue tongue as a kid in a fish tank and catch at snails and stuff like that. So I kind of always had a bit of a, a generalised interest in them, I suppose you could say. Um, but it probably wasn't until maybe about seven or eight years ago now that I actually really dove in the deep end, I suppose, if you want to call it that, and actually found out that you could get a licence here in Australia and actually keep them as pets and... You know, started out with a few geckos here and there and, you know, as most things do, they just seem to evolve and grow and next thing you know, you've got a garage full of stuff. So, yeah, it was a, a, a long road, but, yeah, definitely got there in the end and now I just seem to chop and change in between different things that I like until I kind of find my, my real interests. Very cool. Um, so what was the... Uh... What was the little pebble that kind of caused the rock slide? What was the one animal that you got that caused you just to get more and more and more and more and just kind of go from there? Again, when I got back into well into the hobby, so to speak, I, I did start out with leaf-tail geckos again. Um, kept a few of those, and then all of a sudden I discovered knob-tail geckos. And I had a, a mate, well, I'd call him a friend now, definitely, Rick Worthy, who he's a bit of a, a gecko guru here in Australia. Um and he basically just kept putting these things in my hands and before I know it, I was breeding them and starting to have a bit of success, you know, keeping and breeding and all the rest of the fun that goes with it. And, yeah, it just snowballed from there. And I actually had a little bit of a fear of snakes, to be honest, um, originally. So uh, he hooked me up with a Stimson's python just to kind of almost get over my fear of it. And I've still got him here in, in one of the racks. So, yeah, cool. before you know it, yeah, it just keeps evolving. Cool. Can you kind of give us a little bit of an overview of what your collection looks like now? Yeah, so I think a little bit different to you guys. You guys are very python-focused. I've kind of got a bit of everything. It's a bit of a menagerie here. So I've got everything from turtles, blue tongues. Uh, I've got a frill-neck dragon. We've got three different monitor species here, um, multiple python species. I've got an olive, uh, some water pythons, some ruffies, some children's, stimson, a couple of greens. Um, got a, about three different species of leaf-tailed geckos now, and I'm sitting on about thirty different, well, thirty frogs in general. So, Jeez. yeah, I've got a bit of a bit of everything. <laughs> it, it's a little bit of a mosh posh, but it sounds uh, yeah. there's some overlap. We got some stuff you got, so yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's cool. Um, I get so, bored easy, now, you know. If I'm sitting on the one <laughs> thing, it just kind of becomes a bit the same old, same old. So is that it? Just pretty much you're like, and something new, and then it's like a new project to get into? 
Yeah, I mean, I'm not necessarily 100% into projects and got to breed everything, so to speak. I'm, I'm kind of on the fence where I don't mind. You know, I've, I've bred a few things and I had fun doing that. I've done the expos and all the rest of it. And don't get me wrong, I still like doing that from time to time, but I just enjoy keeping the animals too, you know. So it's um, I don't mind having that one-off animal just as a pet. So, yeah. Very cool. Um, now, do you go out herping? Because, uh, like, basically, you're in, you live in Australia. So, do you go out looking for this kind of stuff? I think you'd be silly if you didn't, to be honest, when it's right on your doorstep. So, I would agree. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I think I've put the wind up you guys a couple of times where I've sent you through a video and I've found a diamond here or there or whatever just to give you a bit of a tease. I mean, that, that does hurt when you're like, oh, man, went outside to get the paper and look at this. It's like, God damn it. <laughs> <laughs> There's that. Um, but um, uh, is there a species that you have on your lifer list, like one that you have been pursuing but have not found in the wild? Well, to be honest, like... I got a little bit ticked off at you guys when you guys went to Darwin last year, a month after I did, and I found absolutely diddly squat apart from a couple of water pythons and a croc and a few frogs. And, uh, you know, you guys had a pretty good time looking at the black-headed pythons and and everything that you guys got there, especially the um, Pelly. Like, yeah. It's so weird that you can do everything correct, but if you're, like, at the wrong time, nothing's there. Because, I oh, mean, 100%. where we went for the timbers, I, where we went for the timbers, like, people are like, oh, man, I came here once and there were like 45 of them all squirreled out. Nothing. Didn't find yeah. a single thing. It's just, it sucks. It pisses you off sometimes. You're like, really? I was right there. So, um, but well, no, that's yeah. cool. So, Even locally, I actually just try to find, um, we get death adders around here uh, mm. reasonably often, probably about a 15 minute drive from my place. And, uh, you know, you're just trying to find those on a regular occasion during summer or whatever is near impossible, but you know, when you find one, it's just absolute excitement. So is there like a certain, I know you say like you were like the black ends of that, but is there one that you would really love to just get your hands on or maybe not hands on, um, but uh, see in the <laughs> wild? Uh, man, I've got so many, but I'd say at the moment, just um, after working on this rough scale Python enclosure build and stuff like that, and kind of seeing them in a bit more of a naturalistic setup, I'd, I'd really like to, to see them in something that's, you know, their home territory and, and really see what it's like and feel the humidity and everything that's there. I think yeah, that'd be pretty that, cool. That would be very cool. Like, you know, knowing my luck, because I want to see them in their habitat as well. Like, if we found one, it would be, like, on a carport or, you know, uh, <laughs> like, a, in a bathroom or something. Like, no, this is – no, like, go to where you're supposed to be. So, yeah, it's, you know, but – that's awesome. I mean, that would be kind of cool to see with that stuff. Um, now, as far as your enclosures, do you is it all bioactive substrate that you use or working with your 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 kind of naturalistic setups? No, not not a hundred percent. Like I've definitely got a lot of stuff that is bioactive here, but then I've got other things that I would say I just kind of you know make them a little bit more naturalistic. Like not everything's got drainage layers and all the rest of it to it. You know, there's a lot of stuff that just has, like, nice mulch substrates and I'll go and get leaf litter and things like that just to kind of really make it look a little bit more more real, you know, more like a piece of nature, so to speak. But, yeah, I mean, a lot of it is bioactive nowadays. But, yeah, there's still some that's not. When you're when you're doing those setups, are you have you been to those environments 
to sort of get inspiration or are you looking at uh, pictures or like how's your, uh, because it's almost like you're creating art, you know? I mean, that's how I look at it. It's uh, Yeah, the one one behind you looks freaking awesome. (laughs) You're framed in your head of like whatever the hell's (laughs) going on back there. That's crazy, Owen. That's a great tree python sitting on the log about there. It's a little bit wide yeah. out, but that's that's awesome though. I mean, that looks great. So, yeah. Jesus, thank you. It, yeah, you so, watch that um, whole build, like with those uh, those those um, I don't know, sticks that are you know those uh, uh, perches or whatever that are going straight up, and then there's vines, and oh man, it's that's really cool, really really cool. Yeah, I kind of have to thank uh, Matt Somerville for that one. I remember him throwing up a photo of his green tree python set up. I think he's up in Cairns or thereabouts. And it honestly just looked like a snapshot of nature. Like you could have mistaken it for, for a piece of nature. And I think that's what we kind of – that was definitely an inspiration for that build. And I really noticed that he was using those vertical logs kind of representing tree trunks in a sense. So, you know, yep. it just adds more depth to an enclosure, I reckon, rather than just those horizontal perches. Yeah. But, yeah, as far as uh, inspiration as such, like – Quite a few of the species live locally to me that I actually keep. So things like common eastern frogworts, uh, green stream frogs. I do get some leaf tails and stuff here and there around around here, not the ones that I keep. But um, yeah, I mean, I do see them out in the bush quite quite regularly. So you know, kind of just try to mimic that as best as I can. Not always a hundred percent, but it is what sure. it is. Yeah, right. That's awesome. So. Um, uh, why would you kind of want any kind of bioactive substrate going on in those cages? I mean, is that just a personal choice or do you really think it's, you know, helpful? Uh, two reasons. Mm. I'm lazy. So yeah, okay. somebody else can clean it for me. <laughs> that, all right. You know, all the better. <laughs> um, so, you know, I'm not going to beat around the bush on that one. Um, but at the same time, you know, I was keeping things like frogs in pretty sterile environments where, you know, you'd use like your little exoterra grass mats as such and things like that and you'd be cleaning them out almost daily just because the the poo had nowhere to go essentially so you know having these kind of setups so i've got little critters like springtails and isopods and stuff like that that kind of helps break it down doesn't get rid of everything you know i still have to clean them but it just makes the maintenance a little bit less frequent especially having quite a few animals here Mm -hmm. yeah so i mean not only that but if you can grow live plants in a substrate rather than just having you know plastic vines and things like i think it just looks that little bit a little bit more real to me. So yeah, my snapshot of nature. I think like, uh, probably a lot of our listeners probably keep more towards the, would, would you say sterile side? Owen, would you say, that's um, I'd say accurate? sometimes it, it varies, but it's to the sterile side. And then it's sometimes you get the extremes, like where it's an emerald tree boa in an acrylic box with a plastic stick. And that's all that's in the cage. Like it's, Oh, like, some people yeah. go minimalistic I, to an extreme. Yeah, well, the reason I'm saying that is because I think that um, I think that this is something that um, maybe our listeners could uh, you know benefit from. So that's why I, I, I guess these are sort of like uh, it, maybe it, bioactive basic questions, so to speak. Yeah, but, and, uh, and here's the thing: everybody would love to have a um, a, a reptiles house zoo in their you know, basement, just that some people don't want to put in the effort or anything, but. Well, well, let me ask this, Luke. Um, Have you noticed the difference in the animals, like behavior-wise? Yeah, I mean, 100%. Like, even just, you know, going from keeping 
like my youngest green tree python at the moment when I got him, you know, I kept him pretty sterile, had him in a bit of right. a quick click clack setup and stuff and he didn't exactly have anything to explore around apart from sit on his stick all day, even though they pretty much do that regardless. But, you know, <laughs> at night time right. I can come in here and he's actually moving around and smelling everything and, you know, interacting with plants and, and textures and stuff like that. So you can definitely see, you know, something switched on inside their heads as far as I'm concerned. Um, and, so I wonder if, like, oh, go ahead. Sorry, go ahead. Yeah. I mean, as far as things like frogs and that go, like, I mean, yeah, I mean, it's across the board. I think that they definitely interact with their environments. You can see different behaviours out of them, especially if you can provide them a bigger space, like like what my ruffies are in now. You know, I caught them the other night just sitting in an ambush position, which I haven't been able to see when they're in a, you know, plastic tub. So that's pretty cool. Right. Okay. I was going to say, um, I think with uh, green trees, um, you know, part of the problem that uh, keepers have a lot of times is that they don't move around a lot. And, you know, uh, you know, it leads to, uh, you know, prolapse and stuff like that. Um, I'm wondering if, you know, if you have more of a bioactive or even just a naturalistic type setup where you're going to have that animal out and exploring, um, you know, getting exercise, so to speak, you know. Yeah, um, movement's got to always be good rather than just sitting there yeah. on a stick. Sure. Yeah, so to give, to give you an idea, this green tree that's above me here, she's the laziest green tree I've ever owned. Um, you know, <laughs> okay. she really struggles to move around whatsoever, and that's nighttime or daytime. She doesn't really move unless food is involved. Uh, and even tonight, like just before I jumped on, I just went out the back here and cut up a few golden cane palm fronds and chucked them in there and i guarantee you as soon as those lights are out that that girl will be all over those new smells and stuff in there and that'll probably get her to you know defecate right. as much as you you need to so um yeah it's a little different parts of uh, stimulation to them i reckon different smells and stuff like that if you can introduce it that'll get them moving for sure gotcha so you just you're chopping up like uh leaves and fronds and stuff like that and throwing them in there just to kind of get them something to sniff at smell at or is the end goal that they will um defecate or something like that oh both so you know cool. with her in particular because she doesn't move yeah it's to get her to move um and by doing something as simple as that you know you get her interacting with the environment a little bit more more often you know she'll get bored of that in a, a week or two and i'll take them out or turn them into leaf litter or whatever and you know put something new in there next time and I do the same with most of the snakes here. Like even with the olive, I've just chucked in a bunch of gum branches and things like that, and he's all over them at night. So, you know, it's just just changing it up for him rather than keeping it same old, same old. A little bit different to keeping him on newspaper, in my opinion. You know, it's newspapers, newspapers, newspaper. So, right, something else. Yeah. It, it, um, do you? Uh, oh, got it. Do you do anything to prep the leaves or anything like that, or you just kind of go with it and? chuck them in there just as they are you don't have to like cook them or anything like that i've never gone down the route of boiling leaf litter as such but what i might do is i might collect them all up in you know a garbage bag or whatever and i might actually just chuck them in the rodent freezer for a week just so if there is anything that's gone up in there that i don't want in the enclosures then you know it should kill it off with that um things like the golden cane palm for example like that's a couple of meters from the back roller door here so you know cutting a couple of fronds i'm not exactly getting diamond pythons or anything like that that's wild right at my house so yeah i'm fairly certain that they should be safe and i haven't had any issues yet not saying that i won't but you know I'm just gotta be prepared for it cool i love that idea and i love the uh uh enrichment idea because it's something 
for them to do. And you're right. It's to see their interactions. And, you know, I've said it before, you put in a perch in a cage, like a tree limb, you've now occupied that snake for at least two days. Like it's that, that's, that's his, that's its favorite spot and it will roll all over it. So um, yeah, that's awesome. I love that. So, so for somebody that maybe wants to get into, you know, I mean, if you're going from the sterile to the naturalistic to even bioactive, what would be what would be your recommendation to start that process? Like, how do you if you want to move into doing something like that? I mean, even if you even if you just wanted to kind of dip your toes in the water, so to speak, you could just go the more naturalistic approach and do something that's a little bit more simple. Like this this tank that is above me here is very, very simple. Yes, it's got real branches and things like that in there, but the substrate itself is just a plain eucalyptus mulch that I can go down to the, the hardware store and pick up, the same stuff that we'll throw in our gardens here. Um, I don't have, uh, you know, springtails and isopods and things like that in her enclosure at all. Just throwing some simple leaf litter and things in there will just kind of make it actually look nice, a little bit more appealing to, to our eye as such. And all the plants that are actually in that enclosure they're all still in their original pots from when I got them from the from the local nursery. So, you know, I just kind of deck them out and I'll, I'll put a bit of cork bark, bark tube or whatever around them just to kind of make it look a little bit more more natural. So, you know, if I still wanted to pull that apart and turn it sterile, I could do it in a matter of minutes, you know. But then if you did want to go the bioactive approach, like it's, it's not as hard as what people think it is. And there are plenty of YouTube tutorials and stuff out there and, you know, you can kind of just see whether it's going to work for the particular species that that they're going to have or, or not. Um, you know, some definitely benefit with it and some can struggle from time to time, but it's all just about finding that balance. Right. So basically the springtails are, are the, or the isopods are the, uh, the difference between the two, between bioactive and naturalistic. Probably right. those and a drainage layer. Oh, yeah. um, okay. Because if, you, if you're putting a bit more water inside of it, then you, you don't want it to go stagnant. So do you worry about that? I know they're in the pots and stuff, but do you worry about that in in the in like the naturalistic setup? Like how do you go about uh making sure that it's not flooded or whatever in, in the cage when you're taking care of the plants? Yeah, so I've just got uh, like a pressure sprayer bottle as such that I'll just kind of give them a light watering maybe once or twice a week. I don't go don't go crazy with it with a watering can or, or anything like that. Um you know, it's just, just keeping them hydrated, not keeping them soaking. So as far as the actual bioactive rack, like the Exoterra rack that I'm sure you guys have had a look at, I do have a misking system on that. So that does get a couple of light showers a day, but it only comes on for 10 or 15 seconds a couple of times a day. It's not like it's getting a mental amount of water or anything like that. But, yeah, again, in, in that rack in particular, I've got pretty much a drainage layer and everything. So if it does become a little bit flooded, the, the soil can kind of have that chance to drain away and the plants will uptake that water during the day. Do you have a, um, is there a process of picking out plants? Is it just a, a look? Is it, uh, you know, that it's going to do good in, you know, in, I guess, in the enclosure that you're, that you're building? Or is, how, do, how do you go about that? Well, for me, it's just trying to find something that I can't kill. So, you know, yeah, it's a good one. Yeah, yeah. That's <laughs> me too. Yeah, so I, I mean, I draw a lot of inspiration from some of the dart frog guys over that way. Actually, guys like Troy Goldberg and his garage, like that. Absolutely, that's just absolutely mental to me. The amount of yeah. and things like that are in there. It just looks like absolute art. But 
for me, you know, like I can still enjoy the exotic plants as such, but I just can't enjoy the animals. But, um, yeah, I just try to find simple stuff that I can't really kill. So I use just basic things like umbrella plants and bromeliads and pile of palms and pothos, like pothos grows like a weed in just about any environment, even if you wanted to do something that was a little bit drier, then that's um, probably a plant that could survive something like that. But, yeah, gotcha. it's got to have the right light output for them as well. I, I tend to run pretty much on everything. I've got uh, T5 bulbs that I just pick up off eBay for reasonably cheap, um, and they're a 64,000 Kelvin, 6,400 Kelvin rather. So, you know, it's, okay. it's putting out a fair bit of light. Um, yep. It also provides a, provides a little bit of heat to the enclosures, but... Yeah, it's all about trying to just make them photosynthesize for about eight or ten hours a day. That keeps them pretty happy. Gotcha. Uh, do you ever have to have a problem with, like, gnats or flies or something like that that kind of are driving you insane, or do you have some way to kind of treat the soil so that doesn't happen or yeah. put something in the soil? I've, I've not really run into anything like that as such. Every now and then I might get a fruit fly or that pop up, but, you know, Nine times out of ten, they're in a frog enclosure, so I just kind of let them let them do their thing, and eventually they'll disappear, whether it's through death or the frogs actually caught them. I don't know. But, yeah, yeah I've never had exactly like an infestation of gnats or flies or anything like that. So okay. fingers crossed it doesn't happen. But, um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Knock on some wood, yeah. Um, yeah. So when you go to start, like, you know, uh, let's take the, the green tree. Um, did you have uh, the idea of what you wanted to do in mind or before you went out and got the supplies that you needed to, to do that build or was it just like you had some stuff and you just kind of put it together until it looked the way you wanted? Like, what's your approach? Yeah, I mean, I, I try to draw on as much inspiration as I can from other people's work. Like, uh, as much as I put content and stuff out there, I'm definitely a consumer myself. So I spend a lot of time watching YouTube because my wife watches horrible reality TV shows here. So, you know, I'm not into that, but that's okay. So, yeah, I, I watch a lot of different YouTube videos and, you know, guys like Serpa Design and stuff on there that do these really wicked biotopes and stuff. That's just, it's just drawing from that. So that green tree python enclosure, as I said a little bit earlier, Matt Somerville was probably my biggest inspiration for that and just kind of, um, having those vertical branches in there. I'm pretty lucky that, as I said earlier, I've got golden golden cane palms here. So um, my father-in-law was chopping a whole bunch of them down. And, you know, I said, instead of putting them in the mulcher, let's uh, let's keep a few of those and I'll, I'll reuse them and repurpose them and give them a bit more life. And there we go. They're in the, in the box now. So, yeah. That's awesome. I think that, I think that's for me, I don't know about you, Owen, but that's sort of what holds me up is like, I'm try. I, I have an idea in my head, but you know, I'm like afraid to sort of start to. I, I think you just gotta just you know, jump out of the nest, so to speak. You know, you, you yeah. Gotta, <laughs> you know, it's not yeah, gonna I work 100 percent right. The you're exactly correct. Right. I mean, what got me moving on that whole like the big hexagon hexagon tank in my living room is I just started, and then I'm like, well, all right, we're going and just kind of went from there. And as it kind of, fell, as things fell apart and you redid it, it was like, okay. So, but my thing is that I, I suck at plants. Like I, everything, every plant I touch just withers and dies. So I'm like, I've been looking at like plastic ones and they're expensive as shit. So <laughs> I don't know if I'm just going to be like, I'll just get plants and keep them in the pots. And if they die, I'll just chuck them and get new ones. It's, well, I don't know. Is it, 
Oh, go ahead. Go ahead, Luke. That's the easy way to do it. Just keep them in the pot. Yeah, all right, yeah. see? Yeah, yeah. And just toss it. It's like, well, that one died. Next, like, yeah, it's go from there. But, you know, I'm trying to figure out lighting and stuff like that. But it's really cool to see a project like that kind of come together. And with the whole bioactive stuff, you know, I'm seeding springtails cages, like springtails in my corn snake and Kribo cages because – they just they crap all the damn time, and it's really nice to just have something else do the cleaning. So, um, but no, it's very cool. Is it is it fair to say like it's it's sort of like um, it's it's probably a perspective thing, right? Um, you know, like when you see breeders on YouTube or on Facebook or whatever, um, it seems like they're just constantly having great success. Because you're not necessarily seeing the failure, so to speak. Right, so, right. That, I don't, I don't know, show you the eight plants I ripped out of that cage before I put it on camera. You know, it's they. You only see the really good ones. It's like, yeah, I mean, just like it's like just how it works. Have you gone through that, Luke? Where you know you just you you have a, a build and then for whatever reason it's it's not working out the way you, you wanted to, so you have to you know uh, yeah. step back and redo it. Yeah, yeah, hundred percent. Um, you know, as far as the rough scale python enclosure um, goes, I sat on that since February and I probably did like the first lot of foam and, you know, the shelves and stuff in there. And I was looking at it and going, geez, that looks hideous, but I just couldn't see the end product yet. So, you know, I kind of gave it three months off and was like, okay, I need to get these snakes out of these little tubs. So got back into it and yeah, it ended up pretty good, but you know, nobody ever does talk about their failures as much as they should, I reckon. So you know, if I'm going to be an example right now, I can tell you that my little green tree python and his little bioactive terrarium up the top there is struggling during winter at the moment just because of the amount of ventilation that's in there. You know, people always worry about too much humidity as such. Um, but, yeah, as much as as much as much um, these things dry out during winter, he's, uh, he's a little bit dehydrated now, And but, you know, nobody wants to talk about that. So, yeah. Right. Pros and cons to everything. And you're definitely going to run into a few hurdles while you're doing this. Right. And was there a particular build that kind of like, so you, did you kind of, you had to kind of walk away from the rough scale build for like three months, but, or was there any other one where you were like, all right, I need to just take a couple steps back and refocus or rethink this whole thing or go in a different direction? Oh, yeah, definitely. Um, probably my Boyd's Forest Dragon enclosure. That's probably the one that's had the most ups and downs recently as far as, like, the plant life and things like that goes in it. Um, I was actually just using a straight T5 uh, ZoomEd UVB tube above it for too long, so the plants definitely suffered. So I just had to up my up my light game inside of it just to, you know, really make sure the plants flourished. But I had to rip probably half the plants out of there and, and replant different things in there. And uh, now it's taken back off, but it, it took a little while to get there. But yeah, it looked great from camera when I first did it. And three months later, it was pretty average. Okay. <laughs> well, I mean, even then that's gotta be really cool to be like, well, that sucked. And then you redo it and you're like, aha, there we go. Better. Like the finished result, like that's still gotta feel pretty good. Yeah. Uh, even if you have to redo something. Um, so, I mean, like kind of jumping back onto the naturalistic setups, you're, are you cultivating your own springtails? Yeah, I am cultivating my own springtails now. So um, it took me a little while to get going on it, but I was able to get mm-hmm. some off a, off a friend locally. And, uh, you know, he just gave me this tiny little tub, which probably had, 
oh, maybe 50 in there if I was lucky. Um, and then I started up some of my own cultures. So, yeah, springtails are reasonably easy to look after. They're probably the one of the most low-maintenance pets next to a python, to be honest. So, yeah, it's um, All right. pretty, pretty simple to keep them going. Is that I killed all mine, so <laughs> I need I need you to I need you to tell me how to do that because Joe sent me a bunch and I murdered them all. So yeah, so one of the biggest things I've noticed is uh, you don't want to overwater or overfeed them, um, and you want to really let them just sit and reproduce. So you know, I just use like a little little takeaway container. Um, I'll fill it probably two thirds of the way up with horticultural charcoal. Um, and then from there, I'll use some demineralized water or at least dechlorinated water, and I'll just kind of put like maybe a centimeter or so in the bottom. Uh, once you add your springtails to it as well, I just use some powdered yeast to feed them once or twice a week, depending on the amount of them that are in there, and just let them have at it. And you know, once the, the little culture looks like it's absolutely exploding, then that's when I'll actually start harvesting from it and either separating cultures out and making more of them or putting them back into the terrariums. But yeah, I see where I went wrong on a few things. <laughs> so <laughs> it's all making more sense now. So, so I can first all, try that. I, I'm not really um, versed that well in the bioactive type of stuff. So, like, do you want to have those springtails on hand? Like, eventually, those the colony that you have in an enclosure will, you know, do they? Do you have to replace them over time, or how does that work? I don't know. If yeah, so. Yeah, no, no, no. Yeah, I understand what you're saying. Yeah, so as as far as I see, like they definitely probably do die off over time if they've either, you know, lived their life, so to speak, or they didn't have enough food to eat inside of the terrarium. So that's why I kind of keep the cultures going is just so I've, you know, always got that population there so I can reseed terrarium should I need to. Um, but the easiest way to kind of check out what your, your bioactivity is is to kind of just dig around underneath the leaf litter and see what pops up and, you know, if you don't see any little critters running around, that's probably a good time to put some more in. Can you have too many? I'd assume so. Um, I just don't know what would too many be. I mean, like it would it would have to be know. a lot. <laughs> so, yeah. So yeah. I mean, okay. in, in most of these things, like probably the snakes aside, I've got things like frogs and geckos and stuff. So if there are too many, they'd probably start picking off things like sliders or earthworms or or whatever's in there. They're not going to eat the the springtails themselves, but you know, the bigger right. things that they find, they'll they'll definitely take advantage of it. Okay. So you have earthworms and other stuff like that in the cages as well? Yeah. I mean, they're going to help break down the leaf litter and turn it into to worm castings and things, which will kind of in turn then feed the plants. So, you know, it's kind of a full circle, really. You're trying to create a, an environment where there's everything there to thrive. So um, mm-hmm. I've only just recently started right. getting into the worm side of things. But, yeah, I've even got my hands on some European night crawls, which are kind of a, a larger earthworm. So... Um, right. Not many people in Australia have them, as far as I know. But you know, I don't actually have my ear to the ground too hard with the bioactive stuff here in Australia. Yeah, it seems That's like so cool. it's it's so funny with this hobby, right? You 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 start out liking reptiles, and then you know you have to be you know somewhat of a carpenter, an electrician. Uh, you know, uh, then all of a sudden you get into plants, and then. You know, you're into photography, and then now we're comparing what earthworms are yeah, best. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, like that's that's what we're that's where we've ended up in this conversation. Right. I guess the 
the takeaway from that is, is that you can, you know, we haven't even talked about breeding. And I think it goes back to what you said earlier is like, sometimes it can, a project can just be uh, keeping, you know, keeping an animal and, and, and trying to give it uh, the most, you know, naturalistic setup you possibly can, which I guess is beneficial for both. I've said for a long time that like a lot of that for me, if I'm doing it for me, a lot of it would be my own selfish wanting just to watch a little piece of nature in my house, you know, and you know, you're going to see observations of that animal that you wouldn't necessarily see in a tub. So, you know, that's exactly why I'm doing it to be honest, because I've gone full circle. I was keeping everything in, in plastic and, you know, I look back at a, a friend's old YouTube video he did of my collection, you know, a couple of years back now and, and everything was drawers and I was pulling everything out and, you know, <laughs> yeah. I had this awesome plastic collection, but I couldn't see any of the animals I had inside. So now I've minimized the animals. Tubs. And, yeah. yeah. Still got most of them in storage now, but um, yeah, now I can actually see my animals and see what they're up to. And yeah, I definitely enjoy that a lot more. Yeah. I, I, I do love it because I have a mixture of cages and tubs and it's one of those things where I can just walk in and do checks on the larger animals because they're all in the cages. So it literally just spin in a circle in my room and just kind of put eyes on everybody. It's the ones that are in the tubs that like are the ones that usually surprise me with things like eggs or, you know, they didn't eat or something like that because I can't put eyes on them immediately. So it's much easier with cages and stuff like that anyway. So, yeah, I mean, I, I got surprised by a children's python in a tub. She was sitting on a clutch of eggs the other day when I discovered her. And I don't know how long she was there for. I'm hoping it wasn't too long, but yeah. <laughs> like, oh crap. I've been changing the water bowl fine, but where the tub is, I can't see the back end of it. So she was right up the back of it. But um, yeah, there you go. Yeah. Yeah, it's a rough skill, but my roughie did the same thing to me. I put her in a bin because I thought she was acting funny, and then she laid eggs. I'm like, damn it. And I didn't see them until the day after. So, Oh, maybe that's where the problem came in, Owen. There are so many that. problems. We don't need to go into this. There's so many issues. Speaking of roughies, before I would, I would say to the listeners, before we progress into this, uh, talk about the rough scale cage build. I apologize for the noises I'm about to make. Okay. So that what we're going with Eric? No, 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 you know? no. I was oh. going to tell them to, uh, uh, I'll put the link in the show description, go and watch the actual video of the build. It's, uh, it is so cool. It's so <laughs> pretty badass. And, uh, yeah, this, this cage just, Oh, man, it just blows me away. I um, know. <laughs> um, but uh, I, I guess I would start with this. Like that was that you had uh, monitors in that cage previous, correct? Was it? Yeah. So I was right into my monitors for a fair bit of time, um, but I actually couldn't keep up with the amount of wood roaches that I ended up having to feed them as such, mm. um, mainly because I've, well, I'm incredibly allergic to them. So I now have to wear this big like respirator mask when I'm working with wood roaches. So I just decided to really downsize some of the lizards that rely really heavily on that. But right. yeah, I did have, I did have a pair of black-headed monitors in that enclosure originally. So yeah, I, I kind of already made a couple of alterations to it where I had, uh, I had used some pond sealer to seal up the enclosure and I had kind of put like a board along the front just to hold a little bit of extra substrate depth inside. Okay. Was, I mean, where did you, uh, okay. So with, with the rough scale build, like what you just had the the cage and you're like, okay, well, I want to see these roughies in uh, more of a natural setup or what, 
what led you to want to move them to that? Yeah, so it, it pretty much was that. It was just a free cage that I, I had on hand. I apologise. I think I've got a communist and frog right. going off in the background here. Um, There's some, um, some screaming at you. <laughs> What's going on? <laughs> yeah. Um, no yeah, way. so I had, I, I had the cage here, um, and I just wanted to get them out into something that I could appreciate them in. So, yeah, the quicker right. I did that, the happier I was going to be. Um, right. I don't think it's going to last their lifetime. I think I'll have to make something bigger down the line as they grow, but, you know, I'll find something else to put in it. So is it a is it a wooden cage you built or what's the? Uh, it's actually an off the shelf uh, reptile one vivarium. Um, oh really? Okay. Yeah. So apart from all this side of things, I actually work for a reptile and aquarium shop as well, so I have pretty good access to to some gear. So yeah, <laughs> that's helpful. Yeah, yeah, especially <laughs> when you 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 know get a bit of a discount, so that never never hurt. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so I had I had the cage here, so it was just yeah on hand. But it's um yeah, it's not a bad box. I mean, they do have their floors; they kind of get flat packed like IKEA furniture with those little twist lugs and things. So I tend to mm-hmm. go around and kind of screw them tight shut, so then they're not falling apart anytime soon. Gotcha. Okay. Um, so with this build, did you have the idea in mind of what you wanted to do, or did it just come about as you were going through it? I, I kind of had like a pretty good rough idea of what I wanted to do. Um, mm-hmm. I previously kind of had done like the same sort of texture job as what I've done on the rough scale enclosure. I made some like fake termite mounts for some monitors that I had in the past and I kind of mm. essentially emulated that almost to the 100%. But, yeah, I, I kind of knew that I just wanted, you know, different levels that were kind of horizontal just so the, the roughies could thermoregulate top to bottom if they wanted to and, you know, kind of hide out in the crevice as such. But, yeah, it just took a little bit of thinking going through it. And as I said, there's a few ups and downs where I kind of didn't really enjoy the look of it, but you can't really see what it looks like when it's all just white foam, white, white expanding foam and stuff. So got there eventually. Now, when you did the foam and the, um, you know, the painting and everything, was that the walls as well? And then, I mean, you really went detailed. I mean, you, you put sand on it. You Maybe you can walk us through that process of, of how you did that. Yeah, so after I kind of finished carving up everything, I essentially used um, a couple of a couple of coats of some black pond sealer over the whole thing. Um, that just kind of a sealed it, and B just kind of turned it a little bit more rigid rather than just being kind of a bit of a spongy foam. Um, we also get this like textured sandstone pond sealer here as well, so it just has like a little bit of grit in it essentially. So I gave it another hit of that just to really firm it up. Uh, after I'd completed that, I actually used some terracotta paint made for terracotta pots to essentially cover it, turn it all orange, and whilst that was all all wet, I just had a, a bag of um, red reptile sand hanging around. So, you know, just about hurt my hurt my throwing arm just pitching sand at it, and you know, until it stuck <laughs> basically. So, yeah. Um, and then after that, yeah, just did a couple. I love of, that. <laughs> I'll tell you what, I had a really sore arm after that. It, it was not fun. <laughs> What's the process? I threw sand at it. Oh, okay. Yeah, not much technical stuff here. Yeah. I, I actually had a friend up yesterday who he'd uh, he'd told me about this technique where people had made like sand blowers out of like a, a a jar and a straw, and they'd like physically blow air into the the straw and then 
sand would come out this other hole or whatever. And I was like, I oh, wish I'd known that, you know. That would be oh, God damn it. <laughs> where, oh, wow. where was that information last time? Yeah. yeah. Could have used that three weeks ago. That's awesome, though. Very cool. Yeah, so, so I mean, okay. after I'd done the sand side of things, I also did um, add a few different washes of acrylic paint to it as well just to kind of give it a bit more depth. So rather than just being a really bright orange reptile sand, um, yeah, now actually looks a little bit more realistic. Now you have um, uh, a heat panel that you made at the bottom, um, and then you also have one at the top. Um, yeah. Have you... S- have you made any observations about which one they use or, you know, uh, are they going to the heat for a limited time and, you know, they go in the way? At the moment, it's pretty chilly here. Like I think tonight's getting down to about seven degrees Celsius or something, eight eight degrees Celsius. So it's pretty, pretty cold. Um, So both of them actually hang out at one particular heat spot themselves. I think the male's down underneath the leaf litter and he, he likes to sit on top of the heat, pot, uh, heat tile there and uh, the female hangs up the top and, and chills out underneath the heat panel that's up there. Is there is, did you do that for a reason, like as far as you were just trying to give them like a heated place where they could hide or was it uh, because you had, you're, you're putting the two snakes together, you wanted to give them both a spot where they could go or what was what was the thought process there? Yeah, well, I didn't actually want them fighting or, you know, trying to hug onto a spot and over the top of each other. I wanted to kind of be able to provide them options should they want to go and find somewhere else to to hide away from each other. Um, having the one down on the ground is pretty good because there's a, you know, nice bit of bark over the top of it that's that's pretty solid, a bit of gum bark and all this leaf litter, so they can really just disappear inside of that should they want to. Uh, whereas the, the hot spot up the top, there is actually, you know, they are out in the open essentially, so, you know, they might feel a little bit more vulnerable there, but it was just to give them both different areas to, to go to, you know, yeah. co-having snakes isn't always a great idea, but providing options, I think kind of just eliminates a bit of risk. Yeah. Do you find that they disappear a lot into that uh, leaf litter that you got going on in the bottom? Just <laughs> yeah. gone. Yeah. yeah. I don't yeah. see the male anymore. That's, oh no. <laughs> yeah. Unless I come in here and the lights are off or something and he's popped his head out. But as soon as he sees me, he generally ducks back in. I think the coolest coolest part of that video was you sort of have like these vines that go, uh, they're going uh, vertical, you know, up the, uh, up to the, like maybe to the top shelf, if you will. And I think you put the, put the one in and it was kind of like doing that, you know, how they climb up vertical and branches and stuff. And it was like, wow, you wouldn't see that in a tub, (laughs) you know, uh, it's really cool. It was pretty awesome. I'm pretty glad that I trained her to do that before I put her in. But you know, oh good, yeah, that was that takes a lot. You know, that's that's hard work. Yeah. But have you have I can't get my guys. Um, if I kind of surprise them in the middle of the night every once in a while, I'll see them kind of start to do the threat display. Yeah. Um, have you seen that maybe more because now they're in the naturalistic setup, or is it just kind of haven't seen it yet? Oh, look. Okay, so as far as seeing the threat display with these guys, I've seen it inside the tubs a fair bit, and even when I was kind of walking past the tubs or whatever, they'd, they'd hit the side of them. They were quite nasty inside of there, whereas now I'm actually pretty confident I could put my hand in there and pull them out. So, you know, whether that's just them still getting acclimated to the situation before they want to turn into little aggro ruffies, I'm not sure. Yeah, yeah. But, um, <laughs> yeah, haven't seen it as of yet, which I'm, you know, pretty stoked about, to be honest. 
Means they're yeah. comfortable as far I mean, as I'm concerned. So Yeah, they're not they're not on edge. So yeah. that's that's awesome. And roughies are I mean, for us, roughies are like, you know, they're they're sort of like a pinnacle species here. But right. I think yeah, there they're, they're probably like garter snakes for us. They're you know? dirt snakes, <laughs> according to some people. We still, according to some people named Scott that we talked to, no, but yeah. you know, it's um, uh, yeah. I mean, do you just do you have some sort of like uh, uh, is it like a one of your go to species? Is it one that you'll continue to work with, or is it just one you kind of just fell into and kind of thought were awesome looking? I've always appreciated them. I, I think the mm-hmm. the story behind them as well just kind of makes it all that more awesome, you know. They're not very genetically diverse, as we all know, but, um, yeah, like I, I just wanted to get my hands on them, to be honest, and, and I think probably Owen's my biggest influencer there of some of the animals that I'm actually keeping now. So thanks, Owen. I've also got some really angry water pythons here now as well. But um, Yes, good. Yeah. <laughs> what else can I influence? What else can I ruin you on? Um, Owen Pellies are awesome. <laughs> yeah, do that. Yeah, next. Please, 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 please. <laughs> if anybody's got any out there that just want to hand away for nothing, I'm more than happy. <laughs> yeah. no, they've always been a bit of a pinnacle snake. I think, you know, over here in New South Wales, they're a um, advanced species license you need an r2 license to essentially have them so you need to have owned a, a couple of basic pythons like a carpet python or whatever for a couple of years before you can actually apply for a license to get your hands onto to roughies or onto green tree pythons but yeah they're they're definitely not ex- an expensive snake over here they're um pretty readily available i actually got these two off peter birch so yeah oh no he's got a no, no, around there. He, he's doing a big rough scale cage too, Peter going, he showed us around his closet yeah. that he's calling a rough scale cage. When we talked to him last, I mean, that was, yeah, it's a bit of a dream something else. Like, yeah. It, it kind of seems like more and more that people are doing some more input or design into rough scale cages, which is awesome. I mean, like, I love that. That's great. But it kind of seems like they're putting a little effort into those more than certain other things. So, um, where does the hobby in Australia sort of sit at the moment? Is it, are people moving more towards naturalistic type setups or is it, uh, is it like here? It seems like people are at least in our circle, like they're sort of moving, moving away from the morph, uh, breeder thing, if you will, to more of, um, you know, these oddball species and keeping them keeping natural yeah. and, you know, trying to give them enrichment and all that stuff. Um, is, is that the trend in Australia or? Yeah. It, it, I, like, I think there's still plenty of keepers out there or, or breeders, I should say that are kind of, you know, mass producing carpet pythons and more of the common stuff that, that are out there, but there's definitely mm-hmm. seemed to be a bit of a trend now where there are more people kind of getting interested in the more natural environments and, maybe just seeing what's possible and, and, you know, learning off each other with different types of tips and stuff like that as to what you can create. Like it's, it turns into a project rather than, you know, just here's a snake in a box. Yep. You can kind of create this art in your living room or whatever. So it's, um, there definitely is a big push for it at the moment. I think it's, you know, definitely influenced by the U S and, and other countries as well. Um, Cause I think the bioactive scenes over there, over there is a lot bigger than what it is here, but yeah, I definitely think it's on the up and up here. 
I think Europe is probably the leader. And then it seems yeah. like the U.S. kind of like following along, uh, kicking and screaming over years and years. And now we're... As we do with most things, <laughs> we were dragged into the light, yeah. kicking and screaming and clawing our way back to where we wanted to be. Well, yeah, I know. In fairness, the technology today is way different than it was, you know, when I started keeping reptiles. I mean, you really had no choice but to put, sort of put her in the box and <laughs> sort of put paper and, you know, maybe Dude, a branch, I, you know. My biggest cages are made of wood. I know wood is a new concept, but it's, I mean, you can do it. It's just that uh, it's easier with the PVC because it's a lighter cage and stuff like that. But, I mean, I just feel like we got lazy. We get, rep the culture got to a point where, all you had to do was put the snake in a drawer. Well, I think it's snake keepers are lazy. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Snake <laughs> keepers are lazy as shit. Where, it, we, again, we got to the point where you could put the snake in a drawer with a water bowl, and that's all you had to do. Right. I got the – and but, like, even little changes. Like, I told you I got those um, 3D-printed perches from specialty enclosures the mm-hmm. other day. Every every single baby snake I put them in with, they're up on them. Oh, yeah. Like, they, they're all curled up on yeah. them. Like instantaneous use and i'm like well i feel like a dick like <laughs> like i should have been doing a little bit of something more for years so um but yeah, it's well, awesome little changes yeah yeah, yeah. um yeah. i'm curious to uh to talk about your your diamond python so you know um here you know they seem to still have this stigma to them that they're like hard to keep and like they're the easiest carpet to keep in my opinion i mean you know what's your experience with keeping them or maybe you can give us some uh some tips since i mean you're right there in the habitat what what are we getting wrong here in the states uh i don't do anything special hey like as far as i treat them i almost treat them like most other morelia or i just keep them a few degrees cooler um okay so during winter i definitely kill the heat to them and let them freeze for a bit because it doesn't seem to bother them whatsoever. They're still out cruising for food and stuff. So not that I'm feeding them, but, yeah, as, as far as I keep them, I've actually got three in this this cage behind me. They're all in a pretty big box. But, um, yeah, it's it's nothing special. Hey, like I've done the same sort of heat tile setup, setup as what I've done in the Ruffy enclosure, just on a bit of a bigger, bigger level. Um, mm-hmm. I think I have that set to about 29 or 30 degrees, so it's not – not cooking like I, you know, most other carpets. I'd probably have them at about thirty-four degrees Celsius. Um, mm-hmm. Whereas, you know, it's also got a little heat panel up the top here as well for for the warmer months when I do want to warm them up. But apart from that, there's I just don't feed them a hell of a lot. I'd probably, you know, even during the warmer months, I might feed them once every three weeks or thereabouts, and and kind of gorge mm-hmm. them over the summer when I do feed them. I feed them big meals. Um, okay. Come April, they they're not getting food until probably October now. So I just. Yeah, okay. no need for it. When you're finding them in the wild, are you finding them more in the – is it a mix of uh, up in the trees as opposed to, you know, down on the ground in the leaf litter or is it a mix of both or it just depends on time of season or what's what's your experience with finding them? More often than not, I, I tend to find them on the ground. That's probably my own fault for looking down trying to find death adders. But, it's, <laughs> you know – Every now and then, like when I find them up in the trees, they tend to actually be juveniles that I see personally, um, unless it's mm, the daytime. Okay. If it's the daytime, I'll see adults up in trees, but if, if it's night and I'm out, I tend to see, you know, juveniles in little bushes that are off the ground and then, then I see, like, the, the bigger snakes are actually crawling around and, and cruising around on the roads or on the on the scrub. 
Gotcha. Okay. That's cool. Have you seen, you've, you've found death adders or is this just a constant looking no, that you, because you haven't found them? Okay. Yeah. I tend to find maybe, okay. maybe one or two a year if I'm lucky, but yeah, I, I always get skunked by them. I always have friends that will send me photos. I'll find one every weekend in the same spot. So I'm looking and then, you know, I go up there going, this is the perfect night and then nothing, but you know, nothing. that's just uh, right. the way it goes. That's something we had to keep reminding ourselves of when we were in Darwin. It's like we're we're traipsing through ankle high like brush. We're like, oh yeah, death adder. So yeah, that was. Oh, they're here. Yeah. So that they're. I wish we had found some of those. How are they to like? How are they when you find them? Are they? Where are you oh, finding they, them? They they generally just um, on the side of the road where I'm looking personally. Uh, they, they're never too far from there, and you only ever find them when they're, they're cruising around. So. Um, gotcha. You know, if they're going to be sitting there, they'll, they'll probably sit there for a month or so at least. But um, they always tend to be pretty chill as far as I'm concerned. Like they, you can almost just pick them up with a hook and it's just like having a sausage on a hook. So, you know, it's, <laughs> I'd, I'd much rather interact with them and, you know, kind of uh, hook them or whatever um, rather than any other lapid. So, yeah. Yeah. I, I, I buy that. I mean, um uh, they're, they're just such cool animals. So yeah, yeah. There's something, something about them. I think it's just the cryptic nature that kind of gets me. I'm, I'm a, bit of a bit of a sucker for cryptic animals, just like the leaf tail geckos and stuff like that. So something about that sitting and waiting. Yeah, yeah. Those. Uh, it's amazing how how they blend in with the environment. You know, those uh, leaf tail geckos. Man, it's it, you know, it's just like wow. I don't know. That's the kind of stuff that I've noticed it more and more. Like, um, you know, when we found the copperhead over the weekend, it was mm-hmm. a perfect match to the leaf litter. You know, it's almost like <laughs> it's it like, was camouflaging or something. Yeah, but, it's so weird. You know, when you don't really, uh, I don't know. And then uh, I think about, uh, we found the coastal carpet in, in Brisbane and, um, you know, seeing it in the tree, you, you, it just disappears, <laughs> you know, it's like, okay, wow. it's, it's really cool how, uh, how they've, uh, you know, developed colors and patterns to, to blend into their environment. I don't, I, at least for me, I don't know. I, I sometimes take that for granted. I, maybe that's what sort of led me to be, uh, move away from, well, not move away, but, you know, not being focused so much on morphs is like, you know, they've developed these patterns and colors to, to, to help uh, keep them alive in their environment. It's pretty, it's pretty crazy. But um, sometimes yeah. that's half the fun of having these bioactive setups or these naturalistic setups is going, Oh crap. I've lost X. And, you know, <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say that sometimes you're like, ask, like, you have to pick stuff that the geckos can't blend into. Otherwise you lose your freaking mind. <laughs> did you ever have that moment where you're like, Oh my gosh, where did it go? <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, almost on the daily basis. So I'm pretty pretty used to it now. And you know, some of the some things that you they don't even seem to blend into their environment too well. Like the Boyd's forest dragons, they do stand out when you see them, but you know, they still can disappear inside the bush bushes and stuff in there. But the leaf tail geckos, they um they tend to actually just change their colours just a little bit. Not like a chameleon would, but just ever right. so slightly just to kind of blend in a little bit more. So I've had plenty of oh shit moments with them, so yeah. <laughs> Are they pretty straight ahead as far as keeping them, uh, the uh, leaf-tailed geckos? Yeah, super simple. Um, probably the easiest of my geckos to keep, to be honest. I, I probably feed them two, three times a week, you know, during summer. Um, 
just keep them cold. There's no heating on them whatsoever, so they they don't have to get too warm. Um, the only heating that is on there is just the the plant grow lights that are above them. So you know they can still thermoregulate a little bit top to bottom, but other than that, they just seem to you know really thrive in these really thick thick environments that are just thick with with bushes and things like that because they just feel nice and secure. Right. Very cool. Do you uh, do you have like um, lighting that you can go in and observe your reptiles uh, at night without disturbing them? Like uh, I don't know if you have like uh... put on a red headlamp and just kind of wander <laughs> yeah. around your own room. I've actually been meaning to buy something like that for that reason, just so I can kind of sneak around in here. I, I do want a headlamp just for when I'm feeding in here because I don't like to turn the lights on. I like to try to be able to see them actually hunting and stuff like that. But if I turn the lights right. on, everyone just disappears. So. Yeah, I've been meaning to buy something like a red or blue headlamp, just something that I can kind of spy on them a little bit more. I mean, really, it's like herping at night, but you don't have to go into the, you know, into the. Uh... It's in your own house. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you can do it in your in your in your reptile room. You know. Yeah, um... in your pajamas. So it's, it's fantastic. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so uh, do you also keep um, uh, olives in uh, like a naturalistic setup? Uh, maybe you could talk about how, like what size cage do you have them in? There you go, Owen. You can get rid yeah. of those reflex and put your olives in there. You know? <laughs> my olives are in there. They're in cages right next to the retics. Oh, my fault. <laughs> you have not. You have not been up here recently, no, and it shows. Yeah. Sorry, yeah. No <laughs> Uh, that's all good. Um, yeah, so I've just got the one olive python here, the, the male that I've got. Um, the cage I've got him in is in a, a big, I think it's the largest um, plastic molded vivarium that URS do, Ultimate Reptile Supplies here in South Australia. Uh, so the dimensions on it are, it's 1,500 mil long, so about five feet, um, about two feet tall, and it's about two and a half feet deep front to back as well. So it's a pretty decent sized box. Um He's still a bit of a juvenile, though, so, you know, he's only a couple of years old. He's probably only pushing five foot himself now, so he's not massive. But, um, yeah, apart from that, like, he's kept in a pretty natural sort of system. Um, I've just got, as most of my cages, I actually just use eucalyptus mulch in pretty much everything here. So I've just got probably about 60 or 70 litres of that in the bottom of it, covered with leaf litter, and I actually went up to a local nursery place not too far from me that sells, like, slate bush rock and... Um, Purchased a couple of square meters of that and essentially just stacked it up. I think I think what really inspired that build was coming back from Darwin and you know going up to Neuralangi and stuff like that and just kind of seeing the rocky escarpments and stuff up there. It was just I took a whole bunch of photos of just the the landscape and kind of brought it back and tried to emulate that as best as I could for him, which uh, you know he really appreciates it. He loves getting into all these little different caves and things inside of there and yeah, I. I I just really love keeping him in something like that. You can kind of see him thinking things through and, you know, I try to put food in different corners of the cage every now and then just so he actually has to go and find it. But, yeah, anything to stimulate their minds at the end of the day. Sure. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, It's kind of almost like a a reed stack for monitors and baby monitors, but it's, like, made out of rocks and stuff like that for these guys, and that's awesome. Yeah. So... I love that. So what did you find when you were in the Northern Territory? Did you find? Bugger all. Yeah, it was, oh, um, <laughs> I, I found a, I, I, the highlight of the trip was definitely finding a couple of water pythons. So I found, I think I saw four in total. Um, oh, cool. I didn't touch two of them, but yeah, that was just up at Fog Dam. So 
you know, I would have thought it would be pretty bad luck if I didn't find them there. But, uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that, that, was, that was pretty much all I got. And I think I got a little saltwater croc there as well in, in Fog Dam that was just hiding out in one of the ponds. But apart from that, I only, only saw some stuff on the, you know, you go out on the croc cruises or whatever like that just so you, you're guaranteed to essentially see something decent. But Right, right. Yeah, and we went to yeah. – Checked out Howard Springs as well, just so I could tick Merton's water monitors off the list. They're just like lace monitors in the territory, so just everywhere around picnic grounds. So, yeah, yeah, that place, that place was that, that, that thing is awesome. <laughs> I love that place. <laughs> They're everywhere. Yeah, they got little children playing, and then just Merton's monitors everywhere. It's like oh, oh shit, they, they, they came out of the. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. I was watching. I took video of the one that was walking around us. And I was showing somebody yesterday, and I'm like, "God damn, that thing is well fed. Like it is, it is a wild animal, and it is it is not missing meals." So, yeah. um, that's just like the latest down this end. We're um, not not too far from here. Um, we've got a campground, and uh, yeah, it's uh, it's great to go there. I'm always guaranteed to probably see at least six lace monitors when I go there. So it's kind of like shooting fish in the barrel. But if I need to take a photo or something like that, or just want to go and hang out with them for a bit. It's always good to go and watch them stealing food off other people's picnic tables. So, <laughs> <laughs> there's such majestic animals, son of a bitch! You're yeah. like it's yeah. Um, that's that's great though. I mean, it's it's the fun thing is to just kind of find it, but then it's also really cool just to go to a place that you know that they're going to be, so that you can have the experience of seeing them. So, um, yeah, man, it, it that would be so cool to see the. So you saw some crocs at Cahill's Crossing? You saw some crocs? Uh, yeah, yeah, definitely saw a few there. Um, I think we probably saw about a dozen just kind of cruising around. They weren't all lined up over right. the bridge like I was hoping, but, yeah, it was uh, still pretty cool to just hang out there and, and just watch them do their thing. Watch all the fishermen too, you know, in knee-deep water risking it. So Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> It's crazy. Why? <laughs> Why would you do that? Well, it's, it's probably really Owen. Is, yeah, it's it's probably the same. Like uh, when we were trudging through the, uh, you know, we're we're going through timber rattlesnake territory, and we're at their den site, and we're just like you know sliding down hills, and you know, like people would probably you think fell, this you fell, and as you're, as you're falling, you're like, God, I hope I don't land on a timber, yes. and we're like, oh. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Okay. Yeah. When we went, we didn't see any crocs there. We saw people fishing and I'm sure they were there. You know, we just didn't see any. Um, I don't know if it was just because. Uh, yeah. All we saw was eye shine at Fog Dam. Yeah. Way off in the distance. Yeah. yeah. yeah that, that's all I got at Fog Dam. It was pretty dry when I went there. There wasn't much there. So I think I shot you guys a message going, good luck. It's, um, it's pretty damn dry. And I definitely ate my words on that one. <laughs> what, what what what's screaming at you now? I mean, what is that thing that's yelling at oh, you? That's just a common eastern froglet. They're just, they're just kind of like um, they're honestly the most common frog in Australia. I think they they breed like rats. They're everywhere, but I still enjoy keeping a few of them. Um, but yeah, they make a hell of a noise. That's only one of them too. I think I've got probably six males. So when they all get in chorus, it's pretty deafening. I would say like. Have you walked into your room and been like, oh, God, like it's just loud as hell because everybody's like chirping all at once or chorusing? Yeah, yeah, it does happen from time to time. I'm, um, I'm probably going to be moving out of here within maybe the next year or so anyway, depending on what 
COVID does, so uh, I'll probably be downsizing into an apartment, which might be a little bit interesting with all these kind of critters that make all this noise. So we'll see what happens. <laughs> <laughs> just, just, just pretend like people are like. Do you hear them? Like, yeah, man, they're all outside like crazy. I don't know, it's weird. Yeah, yeah, I, I heard them too. All, all outside. Yeah. yeah, I'm already looking into like cool. sound deadening and stuff for the walls, but you know. Anyway. There you go. Uh, brown tree snakes is another one you keep. Um, mm. How are they? How do you like working with them? Yeah, so again, that's another animal that I've kind of just got as a one-off pet. I just picked him up at uh, one of the local expos. Actually, it was the last expo that we had here. Um, I think she really hates me, but, you know, <laughs> that's okay. Oh, good. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, uh, just like the water pythons, every time I open up the tub or whatever, it's just strike, strike, strike. But, um, yeah, no, apart from that, I, I'm looking forward to getting it into a decent-looking enclosure, to be honest, because it is one of those snakes that I do have here in a tub. But she was yeah. also one of those snakes that I did have a problem with when I did have it in a more naturalistic setup as well. I just think that she just got a little bit too dehydrated and, and something that just had way too much ventilation, so I might just have to work on closing something like that in a little bit or, or adding in a you know, something to just humidify it a little bit more. But, um, right. yeah, really, really, really cool snake. Absolutely beautiful to look at. Like, the eyes are just mesmerizing on them. But Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Man, they're really cool. I'm yet to be hit by it, so not that it's anything too dangerous, but you never know until you actually take a bite, do you? So, yeah, I'm kind of still a little bit cautious around it. Now, are they um... – have you found that they're more of like a defensive in as far as like a bluff type of thing or, or is your experience been with them where they're, you know, trying to, trying to get you? They mean it. <laughs> yeah. Usually our jaws are about 180 degrees apart. So the fangs are facing out. So oh. I, I <laughs> yes. okay. Fair enough. Yeah. So. I wish it was a bluff. It'd be a lot nicer to work with that. <laughs> yeah. I, was, we, uh, we went to Keith McPeaks this weekend and I was playing with his Bolin's Python and I was putting her away and she bluff charged me. And I'm like, I'm pretty sure I just saw my life flash before my eyes. Like that was, that would have hurt, dude. <laughs> like that would have, yeah, that big brick of a head. And I'm like, oh God. It was my hand, so, you know? Oh yeah. Yeah. Eyes were hit. So, cool. yeah, that might make me to change my undies. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, and you know it's weird like, you know, there's there's I would imagine there's species that we have that you're, you know, that you guys are you know, I was telling Scott over the weekend sent him the pictures of the copperhead and the and the rattlesnake and you know, he's just like, "Oh, you were very very mean to Scott." <laughs> that was very cool. But at the same time, he's sending me pictures of carpet pythons in his yard and I'm sorry, no, you, <laughs> you, were, you were meaner, you were meaner to Nipper. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I feel bad for Nipper and it's his birthday today and you were just rubbing salt into that wound. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Oh, cool. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah it, it definitely is like that here you know like uh, just even the kind of animals that you guys can see over there or even just keep you know like i'd love something as crazy as a dart frog which is probably just so run on the mill over there but you know that's just we've got what we've got and we're pretty lucky yeah. where we live in the end of the day you know we've got a pretty good variety of animals here and and oh, a lot yeah. of country to cover if we do want to go herping and stuff so it's not, it's not It's weird that, I mean, we, we forget about that kind of stuff because last time we talked to um, Peter Birch, we're like, oh, what's the one animal you would love to keep? He goes, a tortoise. And I'm like, oh, <laughs> like, it's right. You you can't. It's like, that sucks. Yeah. <laughs> Where like your 
want to do naturalistic setups. I mean, that's all the dart frog guys do is just have big enclosures filled with like all those kind of guys. It's they can get nuts with that stuff. Yeah. Well, I mean, I'm the, I'm the same as Peter. I'd absolutely love to have a tortoise. I just froth on the whole idea. I know most of the guys over there would probably laugh at it, but it's just the fact that we can't have something as cool as that. And, you know, there's plenty of cool animals I'd love to get my hands on, but it's just, um, yeah, just get a boulder and throw a head of lettuce at it every day. <laughs> and that's like keeping a tortoise. So Do, is, yeah, there, there, is there a species in particular that you wish you could have? But, you know, I know you said dar frogs is one, but is there uh, like a, a snake species or something that you wish you could work uh, with? S- snake species? Um, yeah. Look, Bol and I are just so attractive. Um, I think I just love that iridescence of them as well. So I think if I was to say a snake species, that would probably be it. But I think yeah. something that would actually trump that would be like an Aldabaran tortoise. Um, okay. <laughs> yeah, it's just <laughs> like, going, going back a few years, I went over over to Africa on my honeymoon and um, we went over to Mauritius for the better part of a week while we were over there as well. So we got to go and see some Aldabaran tortoises that were living on some of the little islands around there and, you know, they were kind of free roaming and stuff and, I just about right. lost my mind. So, yeah, that was they are that's cool. pretty cool. I mean, yeah, it's a giant walking rock. It's like that's <laughs> it's just cool. <laughs> I don't think anybody can be upset when looking at like a giant Aldabra walking towards them. It's like yeah. you have to have no soul. So yeah. they always just seem so happy too. <laughs> yeah, it's true. Always happy, right. just with whatever's going on. Yeah. So well, that's cool. That's cool. Is there uh, well? Um, what about geckos? Like, is there a, I mean, I know you see you're working with the details. Is there some other geckos that you want to get into that you can have in Australia or is there one that you really wish you had in Australia to get into? Uh, I've, I've been eyeing off a few species here recently. So things like your spiny tail geckos and stuff, some of the strophorous species here, I'd definitely like to get my hands on. I was keeping golden tail geckos a few years ago and um, I wouldn't mind getting some of those back in my hands they're a really pretty little little thing and they they bask during the day yeah. most of the strophorus bask during the day so you can actually just have them you know with branches and stuff and they'll just be hanging out on their branches but like um like, like most uh sticky toed geckos they are a bit of a pain to keep like i've got some marbled geckos here and every week i'm just scraping feces off glass so it's uh it can be a little bit tedious for that reason but, um, yeah. yeah, I mean, there's, there's plenty of stuff out there. I'd like to get my hands on some ringtail geckos as well. I reckon that'd be pretty cool. But to be honest, right now I'm, I'm just stoked to have the, the northern leaftails in, in particular because they, they're going to get to a pretty decent yeah. size and become a pretty decent display gecko. So, yeah, I'm pretty yeah. stoked to grow a couple of those up. Cool. Yeah, that was the one we found by accident with your blackhead stick, right? No. No? Okay. No, the spiny <laughs> tail is what I meant. Yes. That's what yeah. we yes. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Yeah. That was yeah. Um so how do you like uh how's the YouTube world treating you? How how do you like that? Where did you uh why did you uh how are you enjoying that pit? It's <laughs> <laughs> a fun pit. Yeah, you know. Where was your inspiration to start your channel from? I don't know, to be honest. I think I just started taking, like, if you go right back through my videos, I think some of my most early videos from a couple of years ago were just, you know, random ones of a blotch blue tongue eating some cat kibble or something like that for a minute. Like, they were really nothing nothing too special. And 
before I know it, you know, people are subscribing to the channel and stuff because maybe they just want to see Australian animals or whatever it was. So I thought, yeah, geez, I might have to up my game a little bit here and, you know, <laughs> start making stuff that people might actually want to watch. So, yeah, I mean, it, it definitely is a pit. I think as far as any social media outlet goes, that there's a lot of trolls on there that can be pretty full on at times. But, you know, for all in all, I've, I've had a pretty good experience thus far with it. So, yeah, can't complain too much. Okay. But, yeah. Yeah, it's definitely and time consuming. Yes. Yeah. I was yeah. you know, yeah. editing that video and oh man. <laughs> yeah. It, it's a little longer uh to do that than to edit podcasts, that's for sure. So, <laughs> that's definitely uh yeah, definitely, it's uh, I've usually got a pretty foul mouth on me too. So sometimes, you know, I'm going through there and swearing <laughs> away or whatever like that, and then I'll just go, oh, no, all right, we'll retake all of that and edit that out and yeah. Can get pretty right. full on. That's how we got a. Uh, uh, that's how we got a mature rating on podcasts. Is that 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 happened by episode four? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Of you know, me talking. So um, uh, I want to throw this out there. So in case people, you know, to give you some plugs and stuff, but you have a Patreon going, and what you know, I, I noticed there's some videos that you do. Is it maybe live chats? Like what what do, what do you get if you're gonna come to your Patreon and support you that way? Yeah, so I started up Patreon just for, you know, it's not to to essentially have a bit of a money grab or anything like that, but, you know, yeah. it does take a lot of my time to, to make some of these videos that are going out there and, you know, it also costs a lot of money to look after all these animals and all the electricity bill and everything to go along with it. So, um, sure. you know, all, any of the money that anybody wants to donate just goes straight back into that, to be honest. But, yeah, as far as Patreon goes, I just tend to... I've just started doing some live streams just for the Patreons as such. So they can just talk to me a bit more one-on-one, just super casually, just like we're doing now and ask questions, talk about stuff. So it's just a little bit more personalized rather than, you know, a text message or something like that. So, you know, they can just jump on board and ask me any question they want to. And, you know, they can, Patreon's pretty good. Like you can hop out of it anytime as well if you want to. So it's not like you're, you're locked into anything. So, and donation can be as small as a dollar. So it's not, you know, you know, I'm not going to be buying any houses with it or anything like that. But. <laughs> yeah, we just finally uh, took the. We're not 100 percent set up yet, but uh, we finally working took on the, it. Uh, the plunge into going into that. You know, because it's just it's sort of like you're talking about. I mean, this kind of takes up a lot of our time, and we're not trying to make a money grab about it. But uh, you know, I guess if you want to support, you know yourself or us or whatever you know it's just a way that you can do that that's all that's kind of how i look at it but uh yeah that, that's exactly why i set up like the teespring store and stuff like that as well it's just a way to you know help support my hobby help me kind of keep making content you know like i after i found it i got you know better part of half a dozen patreons jump on board within one week i went out and bought like a new a new light a new tripod for my for my camera and stuff so you know i was just like yeah. okay well, if people are getting serious about this like you know I'll put my money back into it and, you know, hopefully make some yeah. better content or, you know, make sure. videos a little bit more flawless. So, yeah. Yeah. It, increase it or make it a little faster or anything to yeah. help your, the show bump up in quality or something like that. Yeah. That's the whole point, in my opinion. You know, we aren't, we aren't moving, you know, I'm not going to start investing in Bull and I. It's just not going to work that way. But, yeah. you know. Maybe 
Maybe it'll let us buy a couple flat whites next time we go over to Australia, <laughs> you know, or or as many toasties as possible. Yeah. Uh, ice cracks, uh, right? That isn't it. Yes. Thank you, God. Yeah. Yes, I missed that. Can so. you just send us a case, like can <laughs> just. I just, I just that that I drink like it all in one day. I thought for sure you'd be able to order that on stuff. Amazon. You know, you can't. You can't. Oh, man. No. They keep it over there, the so we keep coming back. Going, and they were like, "Oh my god, they have the black bottles!" <laughs> and then it was just drinking all those all day. Yeah. Very cool. Um, yeah, man. Uh, yeah, like I said, man. I, I and I'll throw this out there again, but uh, if you uh, if you want to see some really cool naturalistic setups or some really cool reptiles, just in general, I definitely would mm-hmm. uh, recommend the listeners to go and uh, to check out your YouTube, and uh, we'll put the uh, Put it in the show notes so that K. Luke, can he's getting started on this whole bioactive giant cage stuff, so he's gonna annoy the shit out of you. Oh, that for me. I can, I can I mean, like it's gonna be. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's uh, yeah, it's you know, it's like one of those things that like I'm, I'm trying to push myself into it, and it's, I don't know, it's like you kind of get a little bit overwhelmed on where do you start, you know, um, mm-hmm. at least that's in my brain. You just got to start. Yeah. Just, it's just like anything. You just got to do it. Yeah. You, know? you just got to take this. St- and you know what? You're going to stumble. You're going to realize that what you installed sucked. Like I put in lights in my cages and then you have those ones that you showed me this weekend. And I'm about ready to go and says rip everything out because I like yours better. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, so it's, just the way it is where yeah. you just got to start yeah. and then you'll have to adjust and you'll have to redo things. And, you know, Luke will probably tell us that he installed something and then found something better or found something else that he liked or better lights and then had to rip it all out and redo it. Yeah. hundred yeah. percent. I mean, you're, you're always going to be upping it at the end of the day. You're always going to find something else that you want to try and new toys that you want to tinker around with and see what you get out of it. So that's all the fun of reptile keeping, right? It's not just the animals. It's also, all the different bits and pieces that go alongside it. Sure. Yeah. Learning about them. Something more fun. And Eric is the kind of guy who's going to try to see how the moon affects the earthworms (laughs) that he puts in the cage. (laughs) What does that do? Oh, man. Uh, Yeah. I'll take the heat for it, but, you know. Damn right you will. (laughs) I'm going to have to start tracking moon cycles now just to see my earthworms. Uh, Thank you. I recommend an app called Natural. No, it's called uh, Moon Pro. (laughs) Yes. Moon Pro. It gives you the, uh, the, uh, especially if you're going to hurt, man, it really comes in handy. I mean, listen, you got, you know, Owen's making fun of it, but I don't think we would have seen what we saw in Australia if we didn't uh, go. Right. I, and I, think that, I think that what crushed us in the one herping Pennsylvania, the, 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 I think what crushed us when herping the tri-state is the, uh, the typhoon or hurricane that busted through a couple days before we went herping. I mean, that kind of messed us up a little bit. I think, I think that, uh, I mean, I, you know, when we, the first trip we went to Australia and, uh, cyclone, cyclone Owen came through. That's because you um, left me. I <laughs> control the weather. Our, uh, I just didn't tell you what we, uh, we're going to see in chill ago, but, uh, you know, oh, well, we take it, you know, <laughs> don't ever leave me behind again or else. <laughs> right on. So, Owen, why don't you hit the, uh, the closing questions and, uh, sweet. Yeah. All right. Um, so, Luke, 
the closing questions number one if there is any reptile in the world that you could keep without uh legality or price what would it be and why uh, I, I reckon I'd go back to one of those moving boulders to be honest i reckon i'd have to get something <laughs> like a galactosaurus or aldebaran i um I would say, would you, would you go full Aldabra knowing that you had to feed it like a dump truck worth of vegetables a week, or would you just kind of go smaller? No, I think, I, I think I'd go the full hog. You know, I think it, you, okay. know, you, it, you <laughs> may as well commit. So, no, get right into it. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I love watching, like, Camp Cannon and stuff on YouTube, so just seeing his animals on. Yeah. I think that I'm incredibly jealous of how he gets to keep all of his animals outside there in Florida. So, Yeah. <sighs> Moving, moving, yeah. moving boulders is where it's at for me. All right. So we got that one. All right. And now if you could go herping anywhere in the world, uh, where would you want to go and what would you be hoping to find? I'd go about 10 minutes up the road, find a diamond python, post it to you guys <laughs> and just make you jealous. Okay. Just, just rub that yeah. in there. Okay. Yeah. yeah. No, it, it's a nice in, in all honesty, like I'd, I'd probably actually really like to do South America. Um, just to see some mm. of the vipers and things like that that are over there. And, again, with, like, the dark frogs and stuff like that, I, I really get a good kick out of those. But in saying that as well, like, I'd, I'd love to see some green trees in the wild, so I wouldn't mind getting up to, like, the um, iron range at some point just to see if I could get some some Aussie green trees and photograph them. That would be fantastic. That's always one of those things where it's, like, people come in and they're like, I'd like to do this. And I'm like, oh, yeah, those are over there. Like, you could pretty much go herping any place and find cool shit. Like, if I'm going to do South America, I want Bushmasters and stuff like that. And, you know, and then people said Africa. I'm like, hey, there's some cool-ass cobras and mambas in Africa. Like, there's a lot of cool stuff anywhere. I, so. I got to tick, um, tick something off the list in Africa, actually, when I was over there for my honeymoon. I was... We were on a, a safari truck or whatever during the middle of the night watching the lions running around chasing stuff, all the rest of it. And the whole time I was bugging the, the guide. I was like, you've got to find me a chameleon. Like, I'm absolutely losing it about a chameleon. And on the third night, the last night that I was there in that particular area, he was just like, he was calling around, radioing guys, and they all of a sudden they took off. And I was like, well, I wonder what we're chasing. You know, it's crazy. And we get there and there's this guy with a chameleon on his hand. And he's like, I found it for you. Like, <laughs> so I got to play with that for 10 minutes. So that was pretty cool. But here's a chameleon. Will you shut up yeah. about it? Like, that's great. That's awesome. So, um, all right. Now, uh, did you want to toss out any kind of websites? Anything like that? Oh, um, how did you get your name? Because that's oh, something yeah, Eric yeah, yeah. wanted to know. Yeah. What's up with the name? Yeah. So I live in a place that's referred to as the, the northern beaches of Sydney. So it's, um, you know, I'm right on the coastline here. So uh, beaches is where it's at. I kind of never thought that anybody apart from people on the northern beaches would know anything about it. So, you know, I just thought Got I'd it. do something related and, you know, reptiles are scaly and they're little beasts, so it kind of just worked and rolled off the a little bit. So, you know, and now everybody doesn't know why I'm called this, but that's all right. <laughs> now they do. Yeah. Now we know. Good. So... Yeah, it's always uh, like one you... of those things where you you know you you hear a cool name and you're like, hmm, I wonder where that where, hmm. where that came from. Yeah. It everybody's got their legends. Yeah. I mean, E. B. Morelia. We still don't know what that stands for. Well, that's boring. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, that's yeah, like where you would go. But like you know, just scaly beast is like, hmm, that's uh... <laughs> it's interesting. It's so, interesting. 
I live by the beach. So, <laughs> got it. <Yep. laughs> right on. Uh, did you have any websites uh, you want to toss out the YouTube and Patreon for anybody who's listening? Yeah. So, pretty much anybody that wants to follow me anywhere Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, Patreon, um, Teespring. Uh, yeah. It's just all under Beaches Scaly Beast. So, you shouldn't have too much of an issue following it. And, you know, if you wanted to, just jump onto the YouTube channel. Most of the time, I've got the links in the descriptions of the videos down below. You know, if you're struggling to find anything, but yeah, it's all there under that one name. Cool. Cool. Very cool. So, um, awesome. Uh, is there anything else you had to want to toss in there, Eric or? No, yeah. Just, yeah. Thanks for coming. And, uh, you know, I'm glad we could uh, make it work with our 14 hour time difference, <laughs> you know? Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Cool, I, I, I definitely it. appreciate being on guys and, um, yeah, I, I really enjoy the show too. I've been listening to it for, well, probably the better part of eight years now, and it's been making my trips to work really, really good. So, you know, it feels right. quite we, we, on this end. It, it'll be weirder if you go to listen back to it. Um, also, we apologize for seasons one through three. <laughs> so, yeah. I still awesome. haven't listened to the first episode yet with just Eric. So, don't, I just don't, don't, <laughs> don't. Just, just don't skip season. No one. good. <laughs> no good. No good. It's all you can horrible. relate. I mean, you know, when you make your first YouTube video, you're just kind of like, you know, you just okay. I got to do it. I I got it. And then you look back That's and you're like, oh, I could have did this better. I could have. It's like better. what we talked about. You just got to start walking, and you're gonna stumble. I mean, yeah. like Eric Eric was alone in his bathroom, and it did not go well. Mm. And then he brought me on, and it continued to not go well. <laughs> so it was, you know, cool. you gotta figure it out. Yeah, um, but, I'm yeah. still discovering it. That's for sure. <laughs> yeah right on so are we yep so but no this has been awesome luke it's uh thanks for coming on with us uh, you're not i don't think you're the earliest show that we've ever put on but uh i think it keeps happening in australia where we're doing morning shows it's <laughs> yeah, the only way to make it happen so yeah i know so cool. but very cool thanks again for coming by and uh hopefully we'll catch up with you soon and we'll see some uh more cages you got cooking okay yeah, yeah. for sure guys thank you so much for having me on yeah man all right thanks Luke. All right. gotcha bye all right let's see cool yeah so that was a cool thing i mean i his frogs were screaming at him the time. <laughs> yeah a little naturalistic uh that dude, I like. I love that. I, I, but that's. You imagine sitting downstairs, drinking a beer, listening to like the frogs calling to each other. Yeah. And I mean, like we're spoiled. We can have dendrobata. I mean, like you can have Lucamella's runner. I, mm. <laughs> now, now you get. Uh, yeah. Um, <laughs> but yeah, um, yeah, I would definitely take a moment and go check out uh luke's uh youtube um if you're even somewhat um i think i think for me and i i don't know i'm just looking at it from the aspect of um being into australian herps like yeah. you don't see a whole lot of um naturalistic type stuff that's done um except for you really don't. guys in australia so you know, when you start to see um, uh, the, you know, like Luke and um, who's the other one? Uh, 
I think it's called Coop's Corner or something like that. Anyway, mm-hmm. um, those guys are doing these like naturalistic setups of the species that we're keeping. And it sort of uh, gives you inspiration, if you will, you know. Um, and it's not hard to get to like near zoo quality no. stuff. I mean, and plus there are YouTube tutorial videos on all this crap and you could really go into it. And like you said before, it seems like with pythons and snakes, we're behind everybody else when it comes to this kind of crap. Yes. Where it's like snake go drawer, snake go paper. <laughs> it's yeah. like, like you know, dude. Can you imagine having a naturalistic setup with a couple diamond pythons in it? Yeah, man, that's the goal. You know, mm. the goal in here. I think uh, his cages are. Uh, you know, that's why I keep saying like mine, my cages that I have are not tall enough. You know. Um, yeah, no. I mean, like, dude, I feel, I feel special having mulch on my Crebo. Like, that's no. <laughs> it's like, um, I, you almost want to go with what Cody has, Cody and Pia. Oh man, those those huge, tall, like almost like cabinet cages. That's what he has. And that's what Luke has. Yeah, okay. yeah. I mean, that just that's almost what you got to go for. And dude, if I had the space, that'd be like every female would have one of those, and then the male would just get dropped in there. I mean. Yeah. In, in a perfect world, I would have a ton of space. All the females would have those big cages like the like Cody and Pia have, and then the males would be in four footers. And I could see everybody just by walking downstairs. And I also like the idea that you had with those mini, um, the extra terrace. Yeah. Where it, it's, you know, it's something else that we were talking about being able to see the snake in a cage. So the, even a juvenile. You know, I was sort of, um, yeah, so I got these. I get these little. They're called uh, the nanos. The nanos, and um, yeah. My thought was is that I could sort of keep, uh, a, a, you know, I, I drew inspiration from Keith's setup at Tinley, where he had the, he had like sort of a shelf thing that he built. So yeah. think of it yeah. sort of like a, you know, almost like a rack, but instead of mm-hmm. using a rack, it was instead of using tubs, he had sort of cages there. So. You know, I'm thinking like, you know, long term should if you're going to offer UV to um, and again, this I mean, if you're doing any kind of breeding on any kind of level, this is probably not feasible. But if you're doing a couple of clutches not or really. something, maybe yeah. you could uh, sort of, uh, you know, have like a strip lighting in in sort of like a, a bookshelf type of thing. Yeah. To where you could provide, you know, if you had like, I don't know, five or six of those nanos going on a shelf, you could you could have these babies and more of a natural. I have that, you know, I have to find pictures of it. But uh, friends of mine who breed monitors, when they go to shows, that's what they do is they have these tiny little bookshelves made where those nanos kind of sit like they lock in, like they sit down and there's a little bit of wood to keep them from shifting. Yeah. Um, and the nanos sit in there and they rip out the backs. So it's a clear glass front. Mm-hmm. So it's like they have back access to these tanks. Mm-hmm. And cause if you put monitors in acrylic, they're just going to scratch the fuck out of right. it. So you put them in the glass and they run led strips above and it lights the cage from a pie. Mm-hmm. And then, um, they'll run heat tape on the bottom so that they're, or, or, uh, heat cable so that it's warm and that's where they put baby monitors Mm -hmm. and they'll put a stick in there and they'll all cling to it and stuff like that. So, I mean, you could do that easily 
and um, keep your carpets that way if you wanted to. It would just be one of those things where, you know, it's going to be a lot. You know, it's it's going to be um, a lot of carpentry to build the rack. It's going to be heavy shit. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you have to buy each an individual nano. Um, but, yeah, dude, you could totally do it that way. And you know what? It would look awesome when you were finished with it. It's almost like having those racks of tall chondro bins. But yeah. Yeah, yeah, but it's a, it's it's having little micro tanks. You could literally do that, and I think it'd be cooler. Um, I would invest heavily in Windex because they will. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There's gonna be that one car that's just like so up up the glass. Like no, 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 just on the substrate up the glass. It's like no, like yeah, it's. Yeah, I think it would be. Uh, I don't know. Uh, I was just curious to see if like uh, maybe you got better feeding response uh, from from babies, you know, because you can I mean, provide I'm, better perching, if you will, you know. Um, I'm excited to feed next like week of all the like because I got those um, 3D printed um, uh, perches, which you know, uh, specialty enclosures. Mm-hmm. Um, they're, it, it's a fantastic product. Oh, yeah. They're awesome. My, the palm of my hand is sore mm-hmm. from putting them together because you have to put the, um, the feet into the perch mm-hmm. and sometimes they don't fit as like, sometimes they're a little too snug. So that's a downside, right. but they look gorgeous and each snake took to them. So I wanted to see how that would go. Mm-hmm. And then I might get some of those five quart ones just for like, problematic feeders if they're not eating maybe give them a couple perches see what they do yeah um better i'll just get the uh pvc the plastic fencing crap that you got um for them but for the 15 quarts they look great they fit in there um and the snakes like i walked down this morning all of them were curled up on top of them so yeah yeah, I think um, <clears throat> I know we talked about this a long time ago and, and a bunch mm-hmm. of people that have come on that breed carpets and trying to get them to go and all that kind of stuff when they're babies. But uh, I think uh, perching plays a big part. Perching is important. Yeah, for babies. Yeah. Oh. It's, it's something that it's one of the things of like, do they need it? No. Do some feel more comfortable with it? Fuck yes. Yeah. Like, you know, if, if you're having an issue, try offering a perch. If you're having an issue, like I'm getting ready to take that tiger jag on a road trip to the post office. <laughs> like she's, she's still not eating. She's, uh, she's just, she's defensive and she's flighty and mm. it, she's scared and she'll just, she's over anxious. So yeah, I have to do something to calm her down yeah. and for her to get confidence enough to hunt. So like every time I open the drawer, she's, breathing heavy she's striking at everything so she needs to calm down so um yeah we're gonna try perching and then we're gonna try taking her for a car ride yeah 100 percent. so yep you know we'll see how it goes i'm not concerned i'm not worried i'm not doing anything plus i have her father to worry about now <laughs> yeah that's right yeah so <laughs> so um what else? What else? What else? Okay, so I guess uh, calendar competition. Do you want to do that? Do you want to go into Teespring store? It's a, this is a pick your own adventure, Eric. <laughs> Turn the page. What would you like to do? Well, I guess uh, yeah. First, we should talk about the uh, calendar contest. Uh, if you're not aware, over on Murray Pick of the Week, um, we have uh, the 2021 NPR calendar contest going on. Uh, so you can uh, cruise over there, put up your picture. Um, 
and uh, categories are there. Um, yep. And the extra category is boas. Oh, so if you have boas or hey, even if you have a friend that has never listened to our show, but you know has really kick ass boas, tell them to go join the Morelia pick of the week or Morelia community and enter in for the boa part. Like that's fine. We'll welcome all comers. Yes. Yeah. So, uh, hopefully, uh, that, that we're going to close that, uh, the, uh, August 31st. Soon. Um, yeah. so it's going to be here faster than you know. Yep. It, so, and then, uh, we'll be picking the winner, um, winners, uh, probably sometime at the beginning of September. And, uh, and we'll still not have the calendars printed in time. No, nah, no, nah, this year we will. <laughs> we will. God damn it, no. Right. <laughs> um, the uh, so there's that. We have that, uh, and then um, so we have uh, the Teespring store. Yes, uh, that uh, if you want to support us, and pretty soon we'll have um, a Patreon going. Um, mm-hmm. So if you want to uh, uh, support Uploaded. there. Uh, Obviously, once um, things are uh, are going, we'll we'll officially announce it and whatnot. But um, yeah, to listen to our voices, you'll have to pay a fine of fifty dollars each episode. <laughs> I think uh, I think what we might do is uh, do some bonus episodes for people, you know, on, on yeah. tiers and stuff like that. Um, but uh, but yeah, and uh, other than that, you know. Whatever. And here's the thing is that the uh, on the Teespring store, there's uh, your logo on a bunch of stuff, the EB Morelia logo. There's my logo, the Rogue Reptiles logo on a bunch of stuff. And then I started tossing up the designs from old Car- Northeast Carpet Fest. So mm-hmm. if you missed a T-shirt during one of those boosters, you can go ahead and grab them there. Um, also, it looks like there's a bunch of stuff for our Morelia Python Radio mm-hmm. on there as well. So it, it's one of those things that if you wanted to try to get some merch from the show, it's all there and grab it up because the designs are cool. And, you know, if, if we ever close the Teespring store, you'll never get it again. <laughs> so yeah. if you were kind of the, one of those people that got every single Northeast Carpet Fest t-shirt, except for one you missed, now's your chance to go get that at the Teespring store. Yeah. And then, uh, the other part of this whole, uh, thing is, uh, some of the other podcasts that, uh, but we're working on, um, obviously carpet cliff notes and the next one that's coming out will be on setting up carpet pythons. Um, put snake in bin paper. Yay. So, yeah. So we're going to go through that. Um, we've, We've sort of had uh, some people ask, uh, "What's the uh, what's some some ways to?" Because if you look at some of the old uh, ways of keeping carpets, um, the literature, if you will, yes. um, 1992, yes, it's, uh, it's not as accurate as it uh, could be. But um, it, here's the thing: it it worked for when it was written. Mm-hmm. But this is now 2020, and we've learned stuff. Mm-hmm. And we've also learned that, yes, you can keep a carpet python alive doing a lot of these things, but it'll be dead in four years. Yes. And also it's like I was reading the article and it's like, you know, they split carpet python up and and they also did Morelia Owen Peliensis. Who did? It said in the article, Morelia, Owen Peliensis. Oh, I'm like, Whoa. okay. Whoa. Yeah. And that's what they, so well, you're trusting husbandry from an article that is so old that they're like, 
<laughs> yeah. And that sort of happens, you know, you go back and you look at some older books and uh, you'll see that. Yeah, you have to, but you got to take it at what it's the face value of it, you know, learn what you can, but understand that it's out of date. Yeah. And that we, you should really look at some other stuff. And there's also something else in here. Hold on. Some island locality that got me interested. Island locality. I don't know what the hell talking about. Oh, diamond python, mm. coastal, jungle. I made notes in this one. Yeah. <laughs> Inland Isle of St. Francis carpet python. Yeah, that's in Bricada. You didn't know about that? It's a southwestern carpet python and then Isle of St. Francis. Like, they're two separate things. No, Isle of St. Francis is uh, is a is an island. Uh, oh, it's been identified as Bricotta. Yeah. Okay, yeah, I should have read that part. <laughs> I'm here for you, buddy. No worries. Thank you. Port Mosby carpet python? Port Moresby? Moresby. It's a Papua New Guinea. It's an IJ. It is. Do you have any of those? Is that the only IJ you don't have? Well, the problem with those is, the, you know, we really don't know where oh, the locality is from. You know? yep. um, <laughs> Trans fly carpet python? I need to reread this. IJ. Thank you. Yeah. I'm like, half this shit I don't understand. Oh, my goodness. We're only nine I need to redo in. this. Well, because, to refresh. Like, <laughs> yeah, I do. Because when was the last time we were like, this is a trans fly carpet python? What? Um, there was a what? paper done. I believe it was done by uh, Daniel Natouche. And, um, was it just Jennifer basically telling us? I hope I got her name right. I think that's actually Daniel's wife at this point. But um, I believe they did a uh, paper on um, carpet pythons in uh, Papua New Guinea. And uh, they're basically from three areas, trans fly, Port Moresby, and the other one is... Off the top of my head, I can't think of. Um, but uh, but yeah, they're uh, Black Hills Reptile Garden, world's largest reptile collection, online shopping, jungle outpost. Um, it, I'm like, wow, I'm just like some of this stuff. Yeah, when you go back and you look at some of those old magazines, you oh look at the ads God. and stuff, you're like, wow, okay, a little bit of yeah, history, okay. right, yeah. were, you know. <sighs> Uh, those are the days. Yeah. Anyway. Anyway, um, I'm going to start this out there. Uh, U.S. Ark, uh, make sure that uh, if you are keeping reptiles, um, you know, you should you should at least, at the very least, be on their mailing list uh, to stay current with, um, with uh, what's going on uh, in the uh, legal world of reptiles, if you will. Um, they're there to fight for our rights, and you can uh, sort of have uh, memberships now. Um, that range from five dollars a month um, to uh, gold membership, which is a thousand dollars a year. So uh, usarc.org uh, to uh, to check out what they got going on um, and uh, help fight for our rights. I should start reading some of these um, for sale ads, mm -hmm. like at the end of the shows, because they're hilarious. <laughs> uncommon, uncommon, beautiful colubrids, rosy boas. Wait. <laughs> Wait, they're saying that they're uh, it's, a, it's just uncommon, beautiful colubrids, and then the first thing they offer is rosy bows. Right. That does wait. So makes sense. That doesn't make any sense. <laughs> so anyway, that's enough out of this. Um, so, but yeah, it's uh, definitely go and uh, enter on that stuff, and definitely support US Arc, especially with the stuff I hear that they're actually going forward with the lawsuit in Florida as far as um, attempting to stop the roll, the rolling forward of uh, the new laws 
for banning the keep of certain reptiles. Right. So now that's that's sort of a lot of help. that's went into law, right? Or it it went into law, but like I told you, they have a certain amount of time before. Can, uh, yeah, they're going to start enforcing it. Like there's a grace period right now. Gotcha. Um, so obviously the only uh, option that we had was to um, sue and there's a case pending. So everything can be held up. So they're probably not going to be um, enforcing the law until everything in court is finished. Okay. But uh, there will be testimonies and certain things like that. Cause I believe they're suing on the basis of that uh, the, law will have harmful impact to business owners. Wow. Okay. So they're working in that side of it. So I know they have a few people lined up to uh, testify. um, And I think that'll be this week or next. So we'll see how that goes. Okay. Very cool. Um, So yeah, yeah, uh, as far as our uh, other podcast, they'll be coming out. uh, uh, I think the next one, the one I'm working on right now is the student of the serpent. So that should probably be out. Um, maybe by the end of this week, if not the beginning of next week. Uh, so stay tuned for that. Um, right. And then we got uh, a couple other ones that we're working on. Yep. Um, we want to nail one down, um, you know, before we move on to to the next, the next one, one. <laughs> if you will. Um, so yeah, we had a few people come forward asking about um, starting shows on the channel. So we're going to, hammer those details out with those people and yeah pretty Seattle. exciting one uh mm-hmm. yeah that one i'm looking forward it to be cool so but, uh, yeah i say yeah because uh. no and i think we're gonna I, if there was ever a show that i think will implode the reptile community i think it would be that one so um, <laughs> yeah you're wrong and here's why yeah. oh Smack. <laughs> like, yes yeah. um but uh but yeah cool 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 um what else do we got? Uh, so if you want to follow us, uh, MoreliaPythonRadio.net is uh, the website. Uh, email is info at MoreliaPythonRadio.com. Um, if you want to follow the show, you can uh, subscribe on whatever podcast app you you have. Whatever you feel like subscribing to. Correct. Yeah, yeah you'll be able to find us. Um and for the other ones, Carpet Cliff Notes, and uh, I know originally we were sort of going towards having it all on the same on the same stream, but uh, because of uh, finding a way not to do that and make it easier for me, because the idea is you want it all in one spot, um, right. but uh, this current program that we're working with makes that uh, makes that doable and still have uh, separate separate channel. So if you're looking for carpet cliff notes, it won't be on the NPR stream. You have to go and subscribe to it um, on its own thing. So we apologize for you having to click two more things. Okay. <laughs> right on. So I'm really not that bent out of shape about right. it. So, but yeah, subscribe to carpet cliff notes and then any of the other podcasts um, that you can, they'll all be under the NPR network, but you will have to subscribe to each one, which is fine. Cause then maybe you don't want to, Check it. So I'm finding that uh, I know uh, we have we're over on Instagram as Marilla Python Radio, but it makes it so hard to 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 share things because you can't put links yeah. and, and all this and you know yeah. uh, so Facebook page is pr- probably the the most up to date accurate stuff you're going to find for us Marilla Python Radio. So yeah, um, 
you have to brave Facebook for a good minute just to get to the links, we we apologize for that as well. Yeah. So, um, what else do we got? Uh, as Owen said, the Teespring store, um, and yeah. I guess for me, ebmorelia.com, and then my email is eric at ebmorelia.com. Cool. Uh, for me, you can go to rogue-reptiles.com. You can also look up Rogue Reptiles on Facebook.com and check us out at on Instagram at rogue underscore reptiles. Um, they get, I got one more feeding, dude, and it's going to be like 40 babies are ready to go. It's oh, like yeah. they're all going to hit it once. And it's going to be like, hmm, hmm. So yeah. definitely very cool. Cool. All right. Uh, yeah. Awesome. So what we'll say is uh, thank you all for listening, and we'll check everybody back here next week for some more Morelia Python radio. Um, what do I say? It's morning. Uh, goodbye? <laughs> <laughs> I know. That kind of screwed you up last time, too. I'm so I don't know what to Stop doing this to me, please. Yes. <laughs> this furlough is not helping us. Yeah, it's not going right. well. All right. Goodbye. <laughs> mm-hmm.